All right, so Luke chapter 4, start up there at verse, uh, let's say verse 24. Let's see what Jesus Christ had to say this morning to us out of the Word of God. And he said, he's, he's talking to the, to the people that's in Nazareth. See, their, their, their question is, is this not Joseph's son? He's doing this stuff and he's talking at, at his hometown. And they're like, we know him. We know he's Joseph's son. And he says in verse 24, and he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. And that's the truth. Uh, no prophet is accepted in his own country. They would never accept Jesus Christ. And there's other parts of the Bible that talk about he tried to do stuff, and it just was, there was no faith there. They knew him, and they just, there's no faith there, so they, they, he couldn't do these miracles. Verse 25, but I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Serapita, a city of Sidon unto a woman that was a widow. So he's pointing out that, hey, Israel had a lot of widows, but there was only one Gentile widow was took care of, and she was a Gentile. And you got to remember, a Jew thinks a Gentile is a dog. And then he goes on to say in verse 27, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Lysias the prophet, now that's Elisha, the Greek word for Elisha, Lysias the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, save in Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. See, Naaman the Syrian, that's another Gentile. So he's pointing out is, there was a lot of lepers in Israel at that time, but only one that got healed. And he wasn't even a Jew, he was a Gentile. And he pointed the same thing out about that widow woman. So, of course, the Jews got very angry about this, were filled with wrath. Verse 29, and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. They were going to take him and kill him. Verse 30, but he passing through the midst of them went his way and came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. So evidently he either turns invisible or does something, but he just gets through the crowd and they can't find him and they're going to kill him and he goes on along his way. What I want to point out to you first is this, is that Jesus Christ is pointing out that there's going to, there's going to come a time that the Jews are going to reject him and the Gentiles are going to come by the millions to receive Jesus Christ. That's us. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. We're just Gentile dogs. We've got some pieces of the crumb off the table, and I thank the Lord for that, that he, that he allows us to get in on that. But another thing that I want to point out to you about this is that, that he's saying that they don't have faith. They're, they don't have faith, and because they don't, they don't have faith, they think he's just the son of Joseph. Who is this guy that's doing these miracles? We know him. He's the son of Joseph. And who is Joseph and Mary? So there's no faith. They have no faith. But thirdly, I want to point out to you that he mentions the story of Naaman. And he mentions the story of the widow, but he mentions these stories like they really took place. Because guess what? They really did take place, okay? There's so many people that attack the Word of God, they try to say, oh, that's, those are fables, those are just old Jewish tales, that they just wrote that stuff down. But Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he, he talked about them as true stories and men that really lived, and there were people in Israel that didn't get healed up, but Naaman did. So I want to I investigate this story, that Jesus Christ is saying that's a true story. It really took place. That took place in time and history. His name was Naaman. Let's look at that story this morning. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. And this is where we're going to be the rest of the morning. 2 Kings chapter 5. But uh, this Bible is one big puzzle. It's one big chain. It's all linked together. 
And it's amazing you can read about it, and then later on Jesus will be talking about it. And if we didn't have the Old Testament, we didn't have Second Kings, we, would know what, we wouldn't know what Jesus Christ was talking about. And I thank the Lord that he preserved his words the way we can go and read it. Because this is a wonderful story. I love this story. I love all the stories of Elijah and Elisha. If I could, I would preach that every Sunday. I'd preach a story on Elisha and a story of Elijah. Then y'all would run me out of here. But I just love, I love, the, I love them prophets. Those old stories of the prophets, I love them. They're wonderful. Look at 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman, this is, one Jesus, this is the story Jesus Christ is talking about. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. So the Bible says a lot of good stuff about Naaman. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. And it says, by the Lord, he's been given deliverance unto Syria. In other words, the Lord was using this man in Syria. He wasn't even a Jew. And he's using him to deliver Syria out of their enemies. And, of course, they conquered some of Israel, too, out of this. And we're going to find that out. But he says he's a mighty man. He's honorable. He's a great man. He's a man, mighty man in valor. Look at all that great stuff about him. But it says, but he was a leper. Guys, I don't care how good a person you are, how great a person you are, and you might be the best person ever walking around this earth, but you're still a sinner. You still have sins, and you, need to, you still need to be saved. You're still a leper. And that's one of the great teachings of the Bible that a lot of people don't understand is that, is there's none righteous, no, not one. Everybody's a sinner. This preacher right here is a sinner. Everybody's a sinner. We're all lepers, and we all need to be cleansed. It don't matter how mighty man you are, how honorable, how great, but... But he was a leper. And verse 2, And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. This little maid is going to be the key to this whole story. This little maid's great faith is going to be the key to this whole story. Is this little maid. And I'm going to focus a little bit this morning on this little maid that this, Jesus Christ mentions this story, and, and when you go back and read this story, you realize, and when you break this story down, you start realizing, it's because of this little maid that was carried captive over to Syria that this even, even took place. This amazing story even took place that Jesus Christ talked about. About 800, 900 years later, Jesus Christ mentions this story to the Jews, and it's because a little maid had great faith that this was able to take place. This is a story about faith, guys. This whole story. So back in verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. So this little girl was a captive. She's a slave. She was brought. And they came over and warred in Israel, and when they beat Israel up, they took this little girl as, as a slave. And look at verse 3. And she said unto her mistress, Would God... My Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Now, that's an amazing sign of faith. First off, notice in verse 2 it says she was a captive and she was took out. She kept her faith when things were going bad. You see how easy it would have been that when she's over in Israel and then Syria comes in and, of course, Israel gets beat. Who, got, who has God? I mean, uh, Israel gets beat. Who has God? They should never get beat, right? They're on God's side. But God lets them get beat because God's not happy with them. And this little girl gets carried away as a slave. 
And when she gets over to Syria, she didn't lose her faith over there. She didn't say, well, I'm mad at God, and she could have been, amen. Uh, well, if you, you get mad at God at some things, right? You get disappointed in the Lord about some, and none of y'all been carried away captive. This little girl who knows the truth about God gets carried away captive, and she could have said, ah, God's not the real God. Look, Syria, they came in and whipped us. They must have the real God. But she didn't do that. She kept her faith. And she, even through bad times, she kept her faith. Praise the Lord for that. That's great faith, okay? She kept her faith when things were going bad. She could have blamed God. She, when things weren't going her way, she could have lost her faith, which so many people do. But she didn't do that. She kept her faith and she said, you know what? She spoke up in verse 3. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria. Notice she says, not a prophet. She didn't say, if she is a prophet that was in Samaria, a prophet, no. She says, if she is with the prophet. It's not a prophet. There's a specific prophet she's talking about. And that prophet is Elisha. When I preach Jesus Christ, when I preach salvation to God, when I preach that you need to get right with God, and I preach about you need to receive Jesus Christ, I'm talking about the Jesus Christ. Not a Savior. Not you, need a, you don't need a Savior in a sense that there's many Saviors out there. It's one Savior, one prophet, the prophet. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man coming to the Father but by me. It's a one way, and that's what she's pointing out. It's the prophet. For with the pro- would, would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria. Look at what she says. For he would recover him of his leprosy. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. She said he would recover him of his leprosy. She has such great faith. She says, man, my God, he's so great. He's got a prophet. He's a prophet. He's named Elisha. And that man, if he could get to Elisha, Elisha would heal him. She has faith and great faith as a little slave girl combing her master, mistress's hair. And her mistress is sitting there and they knows about Naaman. And she starts telling, she's probably combing her hair and she's telling her. And she's, oh, well, you know, if he could ever get over to Israel, there's a prophet. His name is, his name is uh, Elisha. And this prophet would heal him. I know it. That's a great faith, guys. And I want to point out something else about this great faith she has. She kept her faith when things were going bad. But also in verse 3, when she says it, she spoke her faith when she could have been persecuted. She's not in Israel, guys. She's in a house as a slave with her mistress, with her master. And she's in that house and she's speaking the truth about how great God is, is the God of Israel. When she's over in Syria, they could have killed her. At the very least, they could have turned around and laughed at her or slapped her and said, shut up, your God didn't do anything. Look, you're over here. If your God was so amazing, why are you over here combing my hair? Why are you over here as my slave? She could have been persecuted, but she didn't see it that way, right? She had faith in God and says, you know what? God is amazing. That God over in Israel has got a prophet. That prophet's name is Elisha, and he could heal him up. That's a great faith, but she's not only has a great faith in keeping it, she's speaking it. She's speaking about her faith. And if she didn't speak up, Naaman would never get healed. And we've never had this story, and Jesus Christ would have never mentioned it 900 years later. Do you see how important it is just to have the faith you have? Your faith can do wonders. Billy Graham is here today because some preacher had faith to have a revival, get down on his knees, and they prayed, and they wanted God to really move, and they, they had that great revival, and nothing really happened in that revival, except for one young man got saved. 
And some little country church, you know who that young man was? Happened to be Billy Graham. But see, when you see a little bit of something happen in a church, even in this church, you see a little bit of something happen, maybe some kid gets saved, maybe some kid gets right, somebody you see gets right with the Lord, and you don't think much of it, but the ripple effect that takes place for hundreds of years, we'll never know. Somebody thought to build this church a hundred years ago. Somebody says, I want to build a Baptist church right here. Let's get this. Somebody had a vision. Somebody had faith that God was going to use it. And a and hundred years later, almost 150 years later, here's this church and we're still preaching the word of God. And people are still getting saved. They could have never envisioned it. <laughs> They're like, in 2017, 2017 still, this church is still going to be here and people are going to be preaching. People are going to get saved. They couldn't even imagine it. But here we are. Because somebody had faith. Guys, you've got to keep your faith. And not only you've got to keep your faith like this little maid, you need to be speaking your faith. Yeah, you need to be speaking it. Don't keep it shut up. They don't mind talking about all the nonsense they're doing in the world, drinking and carousing or whatever they're doing. Man, have some guts and just speak about what you're doing. You know, don't, don't be afraid to tell them you went to church. Don't be afraid to tell them that you're reading your Bible. She wasn't afraid, and she's in, a, in enemy territory. I love it. This is a little girl, by the way. This isn't some grown, big, six-foot-four, John Wayne type of man, you know. No, this is a little maid. And she's a lot more courageous than a lot of us. Amen, Amen, she is. Praise the Lord for that. And she's changing the history. She's changing history with her faith. Look at verse 4. And when one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid... That is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send, her, send a letter unto the king of Israel. Now let's stop there. I want to point out one last thing before we move on in this story about her faith. She not only kept her faith, right? In, in hard times, she kept her faith. She not only spoke her faith when it was dangerous for her to do it, but the most important thing she was doing is this. She was living her faith, which gave her words a great testimony and gave her words power. Listen, when some little girl says something, who's listening? You know what I'm saying? Some little 10-year-old girl, some little 11-year-old girl, some 12-year-old girl speaking. I mean, what does she know? But this girl had such great faith that when she said something about her God, when she said something about the prophet Elisha, that they said, this little girl, we've been watching her. She's been praying. She's been faithful. She's been honest. She's been true. She's been a good servant. Even though she's a captive for us, she's been kind and gentle, and she's showing us what her God is like. She had weight with her words. She, Because she was living her testimony, she was living it, it gave her words weight and power. So much power that a king was listening to what a little maid said. That's what it says. It says that somebody went and told the king, and the king of Syria said, Go to and go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. She has so much weight. This little bitty girl, her faith is so powerful and such a testimony that when she speaks, she's living such a strong, faithful life that the king says, man, I'm going to listen to what that little girl says, and I'm going to send a letter. Mm, That's amazing. (laughs) That's great faith, guys, from a little maid. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. So let's, go, let's break this down some more. In verse 5, And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him, look at this, ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. That's a lot of stuff right there. 
He's trying to send, and he's trying to make a, he's going to send this a letter and, and name and everybody over to the king. He's going to try to make a big show of it. What you got a great truth here is this. You can't buy salvation. Amen. You can't buy cleansing. Amen. And how much money you have is not going to buy salvation. You can't, you can't pull out your wallet to God. God owns a, owns a, uh, owns a cattle on a thousand hills. <laughs> God's pulling uh, gold pieces out of fish's mouths. God doesn't need your money. Amen. And you're not going to sway him by giving him money. There was a, uh, a friend of mine, that was a, he was a Mexican, and he was going to this Mexican church, and this Mexican in this church was a drug dealer. And he would show up at this church, this Mexican church, and he was going to church, this drug dealer. Very prominent drug dealer was going to this church, and he was dropping thousands of dollars into the offering plate. Thousands of dollars in offering plate. And of course, a couple of months later, this drug dealer got caught. I think he might have even got killed, but he definitely got caught for doing what he's doing. But my friend was saying, see, he was trying, he was dropping his money in the offering plate, and everybody was looking at him like he was this great man and everything. All he was trying to do is buy off God. Amen. See, he thought, if I put this money in there, and I'm doing something for God's work, that, you know, God will show me favor. God don't work that way. God don't need your money. Amen, Amen. he don't need your money. And that, that guy found that out. Verse 6, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel. Saying, now, when this letter is come unto thee... Now, let me stop here and show you something. He sends this letter to the king of Israel. They're not listening to the little maid. The little maid didn't mention the king of Israel, did she? The little maid said, you need to go to not a prophet, not a king. She said, you need to go to the prophet, Elisha. And they're not listening to what she says. They're taking... She has great faith, and she's showing her faith. She's speaking her faith, and they're taking her serious, but they're not following what they need to do. That's Christianity today. Oh, they know Jesus Christ. They take, they, they're taking Jesus Christ's word seriously, but they're not reading the words of Jesus Christ. Amen. They don't really know what he has to say, and they're not following what he has to say. Uh, I have a friend, and we're trying to get this song together. That's what their Christmas gift to me is going to be. They don't know this yet. But I got this special. I want to sing this song, and it's, it's called Come On Down to the Farm. And it's a song, song about homosexuality. Not good, by the way. And it's not, it's not dirty or nothing like that, but it's just a good Christian song about homosexuality. Well, I have this kid that works with me, and he heard me. I played that song in my truck, and he loved it. He thought it was great. And he said, I want to learn that song, and he did. He went home, and he got his guitar, and he learned the song, and he got the lyrics, and he learned, and he learned how to play it. And his sister's going to a Christian university up in Oklahoma. She comes from a, a good Christian family. She's in a Christian university. He plays it for his sister. She comes down to visit on Thanksgiving. He plays that song for her. Hey, sister, listen to this song. He plays that song for his sister. His sister says, you need to be careful with that. You know, there's very, very intelligent men that are studying the scriptures, and they're finding out that that it might not be what they think it says about homosexuality. You need to be careful. There's people out there that would hurt their feelings. And he was telling me all that. And, of course, you know what I do. I start laughing and mocking. I said, yeah, they're really, really smart, and they're trying to figure it out because they don't like what it says, that homosexuality is wrong. (laughs) So they want to try everything they can. That's not what it says. That's not what it says, and they want to crawfish backwards. But God's word is very plain. And I told him right there, I said, you can try to get the Hebrew word, but mankind shall not lie with mankind. It is an abomination. There's not a lot of ways to interpret mankind and abomination and lie with. There's not a lot of ways to interpret that. And you can get the smartest man in the world. It doesn't make a difference. God's word is true, and it's not going to change. But that's the world we're living in. 
That's the world we're living in. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now, when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. So this king... Of Israel, he gets the letter from the king of Syria, and he freaks out. He said, "This guy's trying to start a war with me. He knows I'm not. I'm not God. I can't cure leprosy." And this king is is arguing and and and, and, and he's, he's mad at the other king. He said, "This is a political move, and this is a political move to get us mad at each other, start a war." And the king's all upset. The king's upset because he don't know God. Okay, that's why he's he's upset. Let's look at what happens in verse eight. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God. See, he's not just the king, he's the man of God. Had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, and look what Elisha does. Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Why are you ripping your clothes off? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. <laughs> Woo! See, I love the old prophets of the Old Testament. I just love them. They're men's men. He said, you know what? Send that guy to me. And when he leaves, he'll know that there's a prophet in Israel. <laughs> yeah. It's, he, might not, he might think there's a prophet in Israel or he might have thought he met a prophet. No, he's not going to thank it. He's not going to thought he met one. He's going to know Amen. that there's a prophet in Israel. And Elisha's not shy about it. He's the man of God, the Bible says. And he knows he's got God on his side. This is a man that's bringing fire down from heaven. These are the kind, those kind of men. That man's just bringing up, when somebody loses an axe head in the water, he's making the axe head float. This is the kind of man that we're talking about. These are great men of God. I love them. That's what I love. These are men's men. Thou, let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Oh, yeah, he's going to know it all right. Verse 9, so Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. So here comes Naaman. He finds out where Elisha's finally out. They're finally following what the girl told him to do. And look at verse 10. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. First question I want to ask you, he says, Go and wash. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood of Jesus Christ? That's a good question to ask this morning. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him. Notice, notice, notice. That Elisha didn't come out. Elisha's in the house. And Elisha's messenger comes in and says, Hey, uh, Naaman's here, that one that sent the letter to the king of Israel. He's out here. And, and Elisha says, Well, go out there and tell him, Just go wash in the Jordan seven times. He'll be clean. So the messenger comes out. He never sees Elisha. Guys, that's how we are. We've never seen our Jesus. We've had a messenger tell us. We've had a messenger tell us what we need to do to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. We've never seen him. And Naaman's the same way. Naaman shows up. He's, he's, he's waiting for his Elisha to come out. He's waiting for his Savior to come out. He's waiting for his Jesus to come out. And he never comes out. Just a messenger. He's going to have to do this by faith. Like me and you. All right? And Elisha sent out a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and the flesh, thy flesh shall come clean to thee, uh, come again to thee, and thou shalt, thou shalt be clean. The Jordan's not doesn't cleanse us, but the act of faith does. 
And we're about to find that. See, it's not the water that's cleansing you. It's not the Jordan that's cleansing you. The Jordan's probably nasty and dirty. It's the act of faith. Elisha wants him to show an act of faith. And he says, Thou shalt be clean. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, that's a definite statement. He said, if you'll do by faith what I'm telling you, you will be clean. If you'll come to Jesus Christ and receive him as your Lord and Savior, you shall be saved. It's that definite. It's just that definite, guys. You've got to put your faith in him, though. It's all about faith. It's not about getting up and walking down an aisle at a church, which a lot of us got saved that way. That's just part of the, that's like the washing in the Jordan. That's just part of it. What, when you were saved is when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That caused you to walk down the aisle. That caused you to bow your head. That caused you to pray. It's your faith. When you took your heart and your soul and you put your faith into Jesus Christ, you're saved. You're saved before you get halfway down the aisle. <laughs> Man, this is the way it works. Now let's see what, how Naaman reacts to this, which a lot of people act the same way. Verse 11. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Now let's break this down a little bit. First he comes out and he gets mad. And that's the way it is dealing with somebody about Jesus Christ. When you start dealing with somebody and say, All you need to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's amazing how mad people get. Because why, why do they get mad? Because, see, they think this. Behold, I thought. I thought. Well, you need to stop thinking so much. <laughs> and start looking into what God had to say. See, you're, you're overthinking it. Well, I thought I needed to climb a mountain and pray. I thought I needed to, to go feed the poor. I thought I needed to go down and, 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 and go to join the church I thought I needed to take the, the, the Lord's Supper, the sacrament. I thought I needed to make sure that I was a member of a church. I, I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought. And you've thought wrong every time. Some of you on here, uh, before you got saved, thought you had to stop cussing, you had to stop drinking, you had to stop doing this before you got saved. Listen, you've got to come to Jesus Christ just as you are. Amen. Let him do the cleansing, let him clean you up. You don't realize how filthy you are. You think you're a little filthy. You're nasty filthy. And it takes you coming to Jesus Christ and getting saved and letting the Holy Spirit come in and start dwelling in you. And it takes years and years of the Holy Spirit messing with you and dwelling with you and cleaning on you before you realize just how filthy, filthy you really are. That's why it's so easy for a lot of us to say, man, I'm a sinner. You know why it's so easy? Because we got the Holy, Holy Spirit living in us. And when you have a Holy Spirit Living in you, you're walking with a holy Lord, reading a holy Bible, you realize how unholy you are. Amen. And if you're in here this morning and you listen to me and you don't think you're unholy and you don't think you're, you're a sinner, that's because you're not around righteousness. You're around the world's righteousness. See, you're around the world and you're living in the world and yeah, you might look pretty clean to the world. But man alive, you got to get away from the world. You get around a holy God with a holy book and a holy spirit, it changes your whole way of thinking. You start realizing, man, I'm a sinner. And by the grace of God's the only way I'm saved. This guy here gets mad about it. He says, well, I thought he would do this. What? He would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of his God. Now, look, that's a show. See, man wants a show when they get saved. They want it to be a show. 
They want, when they come down and receive Jesus Christ, they want thunder and lightning from heaven. They want, they want a, a beam of light to come down and shine on them like a spotlight. They want some kind of great occurrence to take place. It doesn't work that way. When you receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you're going to feel cleansed, but there isn't some physical thing happening out in the world you're going to see. He's not going to come out and slap you. Look at what he says here. This is ridiculous. He says, he would come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. That sounds a whole lot like a fake TV evangelist to me. He would come out and stand and make a big, oh, Lord God, and slap him on the head, and I would fall back and get on the ground, and that's the way I want it to go. God said, don't work that way. This is just a simple faith process. Stop putting man's way of doing things into it. Because, see, you want to be part of it, see, Naaman. You want to be part of it. You want to be part of the show. You want people to look at you as he's striking you in the head. And you want to see some big show. God don't work in big shows. God works in little things. He always has and he's always going to. Verse 12. Look what else he has to say. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Good question. So he's told to go down to Jordan. So he says, you know that our rivers back there, they're ten times better than Jordan. Well, that might be true. Well, amen. Yeah, yeah, that might be true. I don't know Jordan. I've never been to these other rivers. But I would never argue with a man if he said, yeah, the rivers in Damascus are ten times better than the rivers Jordan. Well, that might be true. But God didn't put his promise over in those rivers. Amen. God didn't put his promise over there. God put his promise in one place. It was in the Jordan. You better go down there. God put his promise on only one man, Jesus Christ. That's where he put that promise right there. Are not Abnar and Parfanar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. He's basically saying, aren't there many ways to God? Isn't there many ways to God? I mean, why do I have to go to Jordan? Couldn't I just go to this other river and this other? Why do I have to go to Jesus Christ? Couldn't I just go to Buddha or Muhammad? Isn't there different ways to get to God? No. No. God didn't do it that way. So why don't I like that? Well, take it up with God. I didn't make this thing up. God's the one who decided to do it. He picked one river, naming Jordan. Now go down there or don't get cleansed. God picked one man. Go down there and get saved or don't get saved. It's up to you. Well, why does it have to be a man? Why couldn't it be a woman? God picked one man. Why does it have to be a Jew? I don't like Jews. God picked one man, a Jew. Why couldn't it be a black man? Why couldn't it be an Asian man? Why couldn't it be an Arabian man? Why couldn't it be an an Irishman? Why couldn't it be a German? God picked one man, a Jew. You better get in that man right there. You better get in that man. See, we want to make it many ways. And God says, I only got one way. It's through that man, Jesus Christ. Like it or lump it. That's the way. And we didn't decide that, right? Amen? Uh, uh, They didn't have a meeting of the Baptist churches and we decide Jesus is the only way. (laughs) Christians didn't get together 500 years ago and say, well, let's just make Jesus Christ the only way. The reason why we teach this, the reason why we know this to be true, because God said it and Jesus Christ said it too. He said, I'm the way, the truth and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's a narrow way. Jesus Christ is the one that taught us this. And you've got to come to Jesus Christ. 
And when you get to knowing the doctrine of the Bible, you start understanding why it's only one way and only one man. Because Buddha didn't die for you. Muhammad didn't die for you. It's only Jesus Christ is the only one that died for your sins. Are you washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, not the blood of anybody else? You can't even be washed in your own blood and get saved. You couldn't hang yourself on the cross, get whipped, get beat, get crucified, and say, okay, God, is that enough? And God would look at you and say, no. I picked one way. Well, isn't this better? It's me dying. No. One way. Jesus Christ. You can get mad and angry and, 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 and spit and take your... Uh, Take your bottle and throw it and kick out the baby crib or whatever you are. You can throw a big tantrum on the floor all you want to and do all you, the stuff you want to do. It doesn't make a difference. God's word is true no matter what you do. Amen. I was telling that young brother that was singing that song. I said, let me tell you something. You know Gandalf, the guy that plays Gandalf in those Hobbit movies, the Lord of the Rings movies? He goes, yeah, he's gay. I said, yeah, he's gay. He's gayer than a $2 bill. And I said, you know what he does? He gets his friends. They go into hotels where those Gideon Bibles are, and they open up Leviticus 12 where it says, Mankind shall not lie with mankind. It is an abomination of God. And they take those pages out of that Bible, and they rip it, every one of them. And that brother, being smart, says, well, that doesn't change what God said exactly. Amen. And then they take those Bibles, and they, he takes them, and he puts them on a string, and he hangs them in his bathroom. In his house. He takes all those pages out of it and hangs them in his bathroom. He goes, does he really do that? I said, Google it up. It's all over the internet. Listen to me. That's weird. <laughs> That's a weird thing to do. But it doesn't change the truth, right? You can get mad and angry and rip things and hang them up in your bathroom and desecrate it all you want to. God's word is true. And it's going to be this way. You've got to go to Jesus Christ. So you need to have some good friends around you in verse 13. And his servants came near and spake unto him. Guys, it's very important to surround yourself with some good friends because they're going to talk some sense into Naaman. His good friends talk some sense into him. Guys, you need some good friends. We need to make sure we have good friends in this church and with each other that we can talk some sense into each other. Amen, we do. Amen. Look at here. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than wash he, when he saith to thee, wash and be clean. There's nothing hard about salvation in Jesus Christ. And what they're saying is, now, now, Naaman, if he had told you to go climb a mountain and get some rare flower or some rare plant and come down and to boil it in water for 10 days, and, you know, you would have done something like that. And Naaman is like, yeah. But why don't you, it's the easiest thing to do. Just go down and wash seven times. God makes salvation as easy as he can. Amen. He never allows any kind of work to be put in there. Because it don't matter, a drop, one drop of work put into salvation, there'll be somebody who can't do it. It could be the easiest work you can think of, somebody can't do it. Amen? Amen. If God says, you've got to read ten words out of a Bible and you'll be saved. There's some of us in here that have a hard time reading. What if they can't read that? If God said, you've got to get down and you've got to get in the water and once you get baptized, you'll get saved. Amen. There's some of us who can't get down in the water. If God says, all you've got to do is stand up and take 10 steps towards an altar at a church and you'll get saved. There's some of us that can't take 10 steps. But a child or a 90-year-old woman 
can say, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ. And they don't have to be the most intelligent person. They don't have to be the smartest person. They don't have to be the literate person. They don't have to be the most educated person. All they have to do is have the ability to put faith in something. You see how amazing God is? He's made it to where anybody can do it. But if man was to get a hold of it and just put one little drop of works in there, it would mess the whole thing up. I praise the Lord for that. And I'm glad the Lord is so graceful and so smart to do it the way he does it. Wash and be clean. End of verse 13. Wash and be clean. I'm going to ask you a question one more time. Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ? <laughs> Amen. Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ? Verse 14. Then he went down. Naaman went down. What does that mean? That means he repented. See, he is mad. He's angry. He didn't think that's the way. He said there's better rivers over there. But there come a time where he said, listen to his friends. You know what? I was wrong. I repent. I was going this way, and you're right. I was wrong. I'm going to turn my, this way and go this way. That's what repentance means. So that's what salvation comes. Salvation, you fall in the world, and God's telling you there's a way in Jesus Christ to get saved, and there's a time in your heart that you say, I repent. That's not the way. This man, Jesus Christ, is the way. And you take that, amen. And he went on down. Now, listen to what happens. He went on down. And he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, <laughs> according to the saying of the man of God. Now, I want to point something out to you. And Dr. Ruckman does a good job of preaching this. But he, he brings this up. He says, when Naaman went down, and he has, you know, he's a great man, an honorable man. He's a great captain. He's, this guy's a warrior. And all his men are there. His servants and all his men are there. And they're there with their swords and their spears, and they're all watching their captain, and they're like watching him go down and go up. Go down and go up. What do you think was happening there on that hillside while they're watching their captain? Don't you think they were laughing at him? He's listening to a Jewish prophet. He's so stupid. He's going in there dumping himself down like some because some stupid Jew, some stupid kite told him what to do. Why would we listen to what a Jew has to say? We're Syrians. He's stupid. You know, don't you think they were making fun of Naaman? Four times he goes up and comes down, he's still a leper. Five times he goes down, he comes up, he's still a leper. And he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God, the middle of verse 14, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Amen. Amen. But the sixth time he comes up, he's still a leper. And they're starting to laugh. Maybe some of them are laughing out loud, mocking him. And then the seventh time he comes up and he looks around and he's as clean as a little baby. You know, the laughing stopped. You know, there were some jaws dropping. Man, when I came to Jesus Christ and I got saved, I was clean. Oh, I know some of y'all weren't as dirty as I was when I got saved. And I praise the Lord for that. But I was a pretty filthy rotten sinner and when I came to Jesus Christ and I received Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior and man the, the, the joy that came into my heart the, the cleanliness the, the, I just was so washed and clean as a little child I, I, was so, I felt innocent again it was the most wonderful I've never ever been the same now it wasn't the water that cleansed Naaman no doubt about it because Jesus Christ said there were many lepers in the time of Naaman, but Naaman was the only one that got cleansed, right? So when this story was told, and I'm telling you, this story got told, how many lepers made a trek down to the Jordan and dunked seven times and came up the seventh time and still had leprosy? 
It wasn't the Jordan that cleansed Naaman. It was Naaman's faith. It was Naaman's faith in God. He's willing to repent and put his faith in the Lord God like a lot of us did when we got saved. We had a messenger come out. We'd never seen Jesus Christ. We just had a messenger through a preacher tell us, you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And none of us had seen Jesus Christ. None of us us had put our eyes onto the man Jesus Christ. We never heard his voice. But there was a time in our lives that we said, I'm going to put my faith in this man, Jesus Christ. And we put our heart and faith into him. And just like Naaman, a lot of us can say, oh, I'm clean. Oh, I'm clean. I'm so thankful to the Lord. I'm going to heaven. I'm, so, I'm saved. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Praise the Lord for that. And Naaman, he comes up and he's excited in verse 15. And he returned to the man of God. He and all his company and came and stood before him. There's going to come a day that every one of us is going to stand before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We didn't stand before him when we got saved, amen. I just talked about that. We didn't stand before him when we got saved. We just received him by faith like Naaman. But there's going to come a time when we will stand before Jesus Christ. And boy, I tell you what, I want him to look at me and I want him to say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. But what a sad thing if the Lord was to look at us with that look of disappointment. Boy, there's no way to take it back. There's no way to take it back. All the tears you can cry is not going to take it back. It's been done. And you're going to disappoint him. One of my favorite lines in the whole Bible is when Peter has been cussing and lying and saying he don't know Jesus Christ. And the Bible says he looked and Jesus Christ looked on him. And Peter looked up and he saw Jesus look at him. Just look at him. And Peter, it says, Peter went and wept bitterly. He couldn't stand the look of disappointment on Jesus' face. He just gave him a look. He didn't say nothing to Peter. He just looked at him. And Peter's heart was bitterly broken. And he went out and wept. Guys, when we stand before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we have to answer for how we live in this world. Boy, I, I, I don't, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Not because Jesus Christ is mean. Not because Jesus Christ is going to be hateful. Because I love him and I don't want to disappoint him. Amen. Boy, I think about, when I look back and think about, man, I did that. And he forgave me. And I, I really, really screwed up there. And he washed it clean. And I think about all the times that, He took care of me and fed me and made sure I didn't break my neck and gave me a good life and happiness and joy and gave me a good church family and to get up before him and him to say, man, I gave you so much and you didn't do squat with it. And the look of disappointment, I'm afraid because I want Jesus to be happy with me because you know what? He's been so good to me. I try to describe it as Christmas time. If you were sitting around the Christmas tree and all your family with there, and you have, a, you, have a, you have a dad you love with all your heart, and all your siblings are there bringing presents to your dad, and then they look, they turn around, and you don't have anything to give. How disappointed would you be? How ashamed would you be? And when we get through the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to get those crowns. Don't you want just a little bit of a crown to be able to place at the feet of Jesus? Amen. You gave all this to me, man, this is wonderful, and now I'm going to give this. It might be a little crown, right? <laughs> Whatever size it is, I'm going to give this to you. And, 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 and be able to do something for him. Amen. Amen. I'm looking forward to it. 
And he returned to the man of God, and he, he and all his company, and came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. That's my testimony too, guys. There's no God but the God of Israel, and you're a fool if you think there is. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. So he's going to try to pay off Elisha. But he said, as the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. Elisha says, I don't want nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. See, whenever you receive salvation through Jesus Christ, God doesn't expect anything in return. See, everything I'm doing, everything I think y'all are doing, I hope you're doing it out of, not a debt, but out of love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, see, he showed us so much love. You're just saying, you know what, Lord, I just want to love you back. And the way we love you back on this earth, we try to go to church, we try to sing praises to you, we try to listen to some preaching, try to read you, we try to do what we can to live a good Christian life. It's not a debt. We don't owe nothing to God. We do it because we love Him. Hello, this is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church. Are you sick and tired of this world? Are you sick and tired of this life that you're living? Did you know that God has a free gift for you? It's the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Have you ever received this gift? You know a gift can be offered but not received. You can bow your head and ask Jesus right now to save you and give you his free gift of eternal life. Now you might ask, how do I know he'll give me this free gift? Because I did the same thing because I bowed my head knowing I'm a sinner and asked him to save me and he did. And I've never been the same. And this life with Jesus is a thousand times better than anything this world can offer me. Now, we would love to hear from you if you want to contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. Until next time. Casting all your care upon him.